Well, if you will turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, and as you do, I'm, I'm thinking this morning again about that word walk. Uh, we, we said a few weeks ago that Paul uses the word walk and the concept of walking seven times in this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he uses walking as a metaphor for living life. You know, he says to them in chapter 5, look carefully at how you walk. In other words, pay attention to how you live. And why is that important to Paul? It's because in this section that we're looking at again today in chapter 2, Paul has told them how their way of walking has been fundamentally transformed by grace through faith in Jesus. And so as we read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, one more time this morning, I want you to look for the answer to this question, to these questions. How is the walk described in verse 10 different in its direction and demeanor than the walk described in verses 1 through 3? So how is the walk in verse 10 different than the walk in verses 1 through 3? And then what had to happen for that kind of transformation to take place? So stand with me. And we will read together, or I will read and you will read along. Not out loud, you don't have to read it out loud. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Hear the word of the God who loves you, who loves his church. Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, now say that with me, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, this is your word, it is true. It is, um, it's, it speaks to the reality of our everyday lives. Um, it shows us Jesus. And so would you use your word this morning in the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit to show us Jesus and to, to give us another glimpse or another reminder of what it looks like maybe to walk with him. 
Help us to rest in and glory in and rejoice over what he has done to save us. We ask in his precious name. Amen. So, quickly, tell me, what are some of your favorite Christmas movies? A Christmas story. Eden. Elf. Yes. It's a Wonderful Life. The Grinch. What was that last one? Little Drummer Boy. Okay. What? What? Home Alone. What did you say, Joe? Christmas Vacation. Yes. Miracle on 34th Street. Say it again. White Christmas is one I was getting ready to say uh, is, is a favorite of ours that we used to watch all the time. Listen, Christmas movies are so much fun. People are addicted to these things. Have you noticed? I mean, the Hallmark Channel is making all of its money on Christmas romance movies. It's amazing. Um, now, I, what I'm about to say might sort of could possibly ruin this for you a little bit. But don't, don't get mad at me. Hear me out. There's a method to this madness. But have you, I've been thinking about this week. What, what would be a common theme in all of these Christmas movies? And I went online and I looked, what are the themes of Christmas movies? And there's all kinds of themes. But there's one that I kind of thought, pulled them all together. And I think part of our love for Christmas movies, for holiday movies, is because they tap into something in us that we all long for. That's, try this out for size. I'm going to read it because I want to make sure I say what I was thinking correctly. We long for our inner Scrooge and our inner Grinch to be changed don't we? We know we ought to be glad-hearted givers and not mean old misers. And maybe we think that it will, will take some life-changing experience to fix us, like an encounter with the ghosts of our past, present, future that will affect a change of heart in us, or like an encounter with the wholesome example of the who's of Whoville to summon our inner goodness and make our hearts grow three sizes bigger in a day. But the bottom line of those movies is that it's up to you to make that change. And like Buddy the Elf, which is one of my favorites, like Buddy the Elf, we long for our families to reconnect and reconcile. And we hope maybe some Christmas cheer and holiday happiness will melt cold hearts and renew family relationships. Are you hoping for that this Christmas? We think it's up to us, though, to convince people to change. And then, here are those beloved Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, and, and, and they stir in us our longing to do something that matters in a particular place and to be someone that matters to a particular person and people. And if we could just get inside that perfect little snow globe of a small Christmas town and stir up all that Christmas magic, we might finally be persuaded 
to open our eyes and embrace our purpose and kiss our person. But the bottom line is, it's up to us to make that change. And then, again, one of our family's favorites, it's a wonderful life. Like George Bailey, we rage inside against the injustice of evil Mr. Potters who ruin our communities with their greed. We long for communities that flourish. But like George, we get to the point where we feel helpless to do anything about it. If only an angel named Clarence, who's trying to earn his own wings, would come and show us how we've really earned ours, but we just didn't know it, and urges us not to quit now, but keep on doing those good works. If only we could keep doing enough good works to make that change, but it's up to us. It's up to us. I think that I love all of these movies, and I'm not suggesting you stop watching them. Enjoy them. But I think I love all of those movies because they tap into my longing for transformation. Transformation of me, family, community, the world. And we all sense that dissonance in us between what is and what should be. And as Nathan said earlier, especially these last two years, that dissonance seems to be a loud clash in our ears. The message of these movies seems to be there's something broken and you can and must fix it. Your heart is good, but it's just three sizes too small. And the bottom line is, even if you need some Christmas spirit help, it's up to you to make that change. Friends, that's not the good news of Christmas. It's not the good news of the gospel. Paul is telling, has been telling us these four weeks in Ephesians 2 that your heart is not three, size too, three sizes too small. Your heart is dead. You can't change you. The Christmas spirit can't help you change you. The holiday spirit can't transform us. And that's good news. Doesn't it make you sigh with a little bit of relief of, oh, I can't change me. That's good news. And you say, well, yeah, that's a relief, but but don't I still need to be changed? Don't, don't I still need transformation? I need to be renewed. I, I still sense that everything needs to be made new. Now the Bible calls this resurrection from death to life and this transformation from old to new salvation. That's what Paul's been talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. Friends, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to save you so that you don't have to save yourself. In fact, Jesus came to save you from all of your efforts to save yourself. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where we're going to focus today, Paul tells us three things. He tells us who it is that does that work of salvation. Is it, is it us, like the movies tell us? Who does that work of salvation? He'll tell us what the work of salvation is, and then he'll tell us what that work of salvation does, 
what it produces. So let's look at those three things together. Look at verse 10 again. Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So who does this work of salvation? Do we do the work to transform ourselves? Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Paul's continuing his thought from verses 8 and 9, where he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, he says. This work of salvation is not your own doing, it's something he has done. This transformation from death to life, death, death to life is not a result of your works for him, but a result of his work for and in you. The renewed life that you need is not something you achieve, but something you receive by faith. It's not something that you have to earn by grit, but something that he wants you to enjoy as his gracious gift. And for all you grammar geeks, when Paul uses the word created, speaking in the passive voice. In other words, it's something that's been done to us, not by us. So if you're following Jesus today, it's not because you were smart enough to figure out how to follow Jesus. It's not because you were good enough to make yourself worthy of him. It's not because you were lovely enough to make him want you. You were dead and he made you alive. He changed the way that you walk. You are his workmanship rest in that. And so then, what is the work of salvation that God has done? What is this work of salvation? It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He created us to be his workmanship. He's the craftsman. We are the handicraft. He is the artist. We are the work of art. This is what Paul is saying. This word work, uh, workmanship actually is the Greek word po- poema from which we get our word poem. We are a work of art. And Paul and the New Testament writers talk about this workmanship quite a bit, and they use some other language for it. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, Paul says. His workmanship is a new creation. And we read earlier in Colossians 3, Paul said it this way, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So his workmanship is a new self, a new creation, a new self. And he says the same thing again in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll get to that uh, in a couple of months. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness His workmanship, we are a new self that is created to be like Jesus in true righteousness and holiness, Paul says. So how does God do this? How does does this craftsman make the handicraft? Paul tells us in verse 10 that we are created in Christ Jesus. 
created in Christ Jesus. That little phrase captures all the glory of what Paul told us God did in verses 4 through 6. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He united us with Jesus who was crucified, crucified for our sins but lives again. This is that union with Christ that we talked about a few weeks ago. What else did he do? He raised us up with Christ. He united us with the Jesus who walks in newness of life. And then he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He united us to the undefeated Jesus who rules over every power for the sake of his church. He united us to Christ. That's how he created us to be a workmanship in Christ Jesus. And let me just say right here, to be united with Christ is exponentially, infinitely better than anything the holiday spirit can do for you. My dad used to uh, grow grapevines back in North Carolina when they lived there. And I was thinking about this, trying to understand union with Christ again, and I was thinking about my dad and his grapevines, and and I was thinking, if he saw a dead grapevine, a dead branch lying on the ground, he would just pick it up and throw it away or put it in the pile to burn. But what if, what if he was able to pick up that dead branch and somehow graft it into one of his living vines? Now, if he was able to do that, what do you think would happen? Well, the life of that vine would begin to flow into that branch that's now united to it, and that branch would come alive and begin to bear fruit again. Now, my dad is a good gardener. He's got a green thumb. But he does not have the ability to graft dead branches into living vines. But the Father of Jesus does. This is what Jesus said in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying that he's the life-giving vine, And that unless and until his father unites us to him, grafts us into him, we're just dead branches who will bear no real fruit. And in Ephesians 2, this is what Paul is saying the father of Jesus has done. He's taken branches who are dead in sin and united us with Jesus so that we might be alive in him. And so united to Jesus, the vine, The life of Jesus flows into us. It's ours. We're made alive together with him. The resurrection power of Jesus flows into us. It's ours. We were raised with him. The place of honor that Jesus has at his father's right hand in the heavenly places is our place of honor now. It's our new identity. We've been grafted into the vine. And every person whose heart is stirred by the transformation promised in the Christmas movies, 
is really longing for that salvation, that transformation, that new life. But the holiday spirit can't do that for us. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can do that for us. Jesus didn't come to be laid down in a manger and to be lifted up on a cross to make naughty people nice or to even make good people do more good things. He came to raise dead people to life and make his enemies his bride. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God's work to make you new, not your work to make you new. I hope that's restful to you in a culture that is constantly telling you to create a new version of yourself, be the best best version of yourself. That's exhausting, isn't it? Mom shaming, what is that about? Christmas is about God's good work to make you new, not your work to make you new. But, but hold on, Pastor. Now, Paul talks about good works in this very verse. Are you saying that we don't have good works that we're supposed to do? Doesn't Paul go on to say that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works? Yes, he does, and that brings us to my last question. What does God's work of salvation produce? What does what God did do? Paul says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So yes, good works are part of the Christian life. God's work of salvation produces good works in our lives. Now, there are three questions I need to briefly answer about this good works so that we're not confused. Things get really fuzzy when you start talking about good works. Here's my first question. Does this mean that Christianity is just about being good like every other religion? Second question. What are the good works that God prepared beforehand? Third question. How do we walk in them? So does this mean that Christianity is just about being good like every other religion? I mean, isn't this what most people think Christianity is anyway? It's just uh, about being moral. It's about being good. It's one of the most persistent... (coughs) Excuse me. It's one of the most persistent and pernicious lies you will have to fight all of your life. That being a Christian is about what you do and not about what Jesus has done and is doing. Fight it. It's a lie. Paul said we are new creations created in Christ Jesus for good works, not from our good works. Not as a result of works, he said, so that no one may boast. When Paul says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, He means that our good works are the fruit and Jesus' good work for us and in us is the root. Jesus' work is the root. Our work is the fruit of what Jesus has done. Uh, My aunt every year sends our family, thankfully, a box of pears from Harry and David. Anybody ever had Harry and David pears? Oh my goodness, I ate one last night. 
and I was transported to the third heaven. Um, and unlike Paul, I'm going to tell you about it. Um, it's, they're delicious. But it, here's the crazy thing. What if I took that box of pears and I decided to go into our living room and get the industrial stapler and staple all those pears to our Christmas tree? That would be lovely about three weeks from now, wouldn't it? Would you want to eat one of those three weeks from now? That's what it's like to get works, our works, before Jesus' work. It's like trying to staple already picked fruit on an already dead tree. Okay? Jesus said, he's the vine and we are the branches. If we are in him and he is in us, we will bear the good works of Jesus in our lives. He's the root. The good works are the fruit. We've got to get that right. It's about what he has done, not about what we do to get him to do for us. So my second question about these good works is, what, what are they? What are these good works that God prepared beforehand? If Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, then the fruit, the good works that are produced in us, makes sense that they would be the good works that are in Jesus, right? It makes sense that if we're attached to the vine, we're going to start to produce the same fruit that Jesus does. But in order to find out what those good works are, um, what the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should do, we might want to ask the question, what did God prepare us beforehand to be? And I go to Romans 8, 29, where Paul says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What did God prepare beforehand for us to be? To be conformed to the image of Jesus. To be like him. And so that's why he grafted us into him, so that we could become like him, so that we would be like him. And then, being conformed to his image, we would start to do what Jesus does. If you want to know what the good works are that Jesus, that God prepared beforehand for you, look at Jesus. He's what it looks like to be a human. I'm so grateful for Robert's emphasis on this and teaching us that. And I want to encourage you if you want to know what these good works are that you're prepared beforehand to do, study the Gospels. Just read the Gospels. Um, if you'll ask me, I'll send you a link to this cool book called A Harmony of the Gospels where these authors have taken all four of the Gospels and they've kind of paralleled all of... So you go through the whole life of Jesus and you read what every gospel says about every section of Jesus' life. So I've been taking that book that I, man, I've had it for 30 years, but I haven't read it much. So I've been going through it and just slowly looking at Jesus. 
What does it look like for Jesus to love people? What does it look like for him to love his father? Spend some time looking at Jesus. He's the prototype of the human that God created you in Jesus to be. Paul will say it this way later in Ephesians in chapter 4. He'll say, put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So your new self, your new creation self, was created after the likeness of Jesus and his righteousness and his holiness. So then what does it look like to walk in these good works? Well, Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, 2, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love as Christ has walked in love for you. Walk in love. And in Philippians 2, Paul describes the character of these good works that come from Jesus through us. This is, this is the character. Now, you know this passage very well, well, so don't check out. But think of it in the sense of Paul is describing what these good works look like at the heart. It's kind of the operating system of these good works. Paul wrote, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, this way of living, this way of loving, comes from Jesus and it's yours because you're grafted into him. This kind of loving and living comes from the true vine, Jesus, flowing into us, his branches. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A friend of mine used to call this having the manger mindset. <laughs> the manger mindset. It's the posture of one who is so secure and satisfied with who he is in relationship with his father that he lays down his life to serve the people God has given him in the place God has put in him. That's what Jesus did when he came and was wrapped in swaddling cloths and put in a manger. It was the mindset of a servant. A son who was secure in his father who came to empty himself as a servant, to humble himself as a servant, to obey his father to the point of death for others whom God had given him. That's what the good works that Jesus produces in us looks like. The manger mindset that looks for manger moments to become a servant to the people God has given us and the places he's put us. And so how do I do that? 
well, one of my favorite verses that I, I think is Paul in Galatians, but fits so well to help us understand how to do this, what it looks like. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, this one's worth memorizing too. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I'm not dead in sin, Jimmy, anymore. I'm alive in Christ, Jimmy, now. Christ in Jimmy, Jimmy in Christ. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith. I live by dependence on the vine. I live by abiding in the vine, the one Jesus who is in me and I'm in him. I was thinking this week about uh, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? And it's not that that's bad. Obviously, I just said, look at Jesus if you want to see how to love people. But there's something about that that has always felt kind of sterile to me or or disconnected uh, to me. It's like I'm just going to try to do some stuff that Jesus did without Jesus. I'm just going to look at him as a good example, and I'm just going to try to do that stuff without talking to him about it, without depending on him for it, without involving him in it. It, it's, It's doing for Jesus, not being with Jesus and what he's doing. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm splitting hairs, but that's just how it feels to me. It's something that I could... Well, what would Jesus do? Well, I'll just start doing those things. But to do those without any kind of interaction with him? That doesn't seem to be what Paul is talking about when he says that we should walk in these good works. Maybe instead of what would Jesus do, it's more like, Jesus, what would you, uh, Jesus, what do you want to do through me to love and serve the people you've put in my path today? See, I'm engaging him. He's in me and I am in him, so we're, we're doing this together. And I'm asking him, what do, you, what do you want to do? How do you want to love this person? How do you want to serve this person? Through me today. That's the manger mindset. So to me... Um, what would Jesus do feels like doing good works for Jesus or like Jesus instead of with Jesus. So maybe we could change WWJD to this. What with Jesus do? It's a little awkward, but what, what can I do with Jesus for the people he's put in my path? There's something a little bit different about that. Because then I'm abiding in the vine and I'm looking for the vine to flow his life and his love through me to the people in the path where he's put me. What with Jesus will I do? Well, this doesn't have to look very spectacular, really. It's, it's really very, very ordinary. For example, 
And I'll close with this. The other morning as I was waking up, rolled over and punched that crazy alarm on my phone, I was laying there thinking about the things and the people God had called me to in the coming day. Um, People in my family, you. (laughs) Um, And so I prayed something like this. Lord, I'm tired. I don't think I can do what you've called me to do today. I don't know that I can love and serve the people you've given me today in my family or in our church. I'm just being honest. I don't know. I, I don't feel like it, actually. <laughs> I'd rather just stay here. But you said that I'm a new creation in Christ. See, this is what happens when you have to preach. You also have to preach to yourself. And so I've been thinking about this passage. Like, okay, you said that I'm a new creation in Christ. You promised that I'm united to Jesus like a branch is to a vine. And so I'm going to get up. I'm going to get a shower. I'm going to spend a little time with you and your word and praying. And then I'm going to go love and serve the people you've given me today. Trusting and depending on your promise, your promise to love and serve them through me. Nothing fancy about that. But that's what it looks like to walk in the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do as we depend on Jesus and we do it with him, not just for him or like him, but with him. What with Jesus do? <laughs> Father, would you make us that kind of people? Um, help us to keep coming back again and again to the vine. And remembering that you have united us to Jesus His life is our life. His resurrection power is our resurrection power. His love for people is our love for people. His willingness to serve, his manger mindset is our manger mindset because we are so united to him. And would you bear fruit in us, through us, on this mountain for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.